I know it's the gospel you want to consider with me, so I'll ask that you look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as I'll read verses 1 to 12 of Acts chapter 13. To put you in context, think how the disciples must have cheered when the risen Lord appeared to them and said, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, they must have thought, that is great. I mean, we, we're going to have this tremendous, great ministry. And then somebody must have thought, now how are we going to do that? Well, we learn what that means, how the Spirit would work through His people across nations and across generations in Acts 13. What did that blowing of the Holy Spirit look like? It looked like this, Acts 13.1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "'You son of the devil!' You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it is the teaching of the Lord that we desire, which we know will not come apart from the work of your Holy Spirit, even now, working in our hearts, that we might receive the truth that you intend and be transformed by it as individuals, as a church, fulfilling your purposes for Christ's glory. And so we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. Today, this very day, there will be more Christians worshiping Jesus in China than in the United States. Small portion of the population, but such a large population that there, by number, are more Christians worshiping Jesus in China today than in the United States. There are more Christians worshiping Jesus in Africa than in the United States. Beginning of the last century, the number of Christians in Africa would have been a, a bare fraction of a percent. Now over 500 million people in Africa identifying as Christian. More than the people of the United States, there are Christians in Africa. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Underground, persecuted, flourishing. We will this day in Iraq have PCA leaders training pastors for the church of Iraq. The things that are happening in this world, we read in the books and we say, you know, could that actually be that the Spirit has so worked that if you are under 20, more Muslims have come to Christ in your lifetime than in the history of the world? Right now, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working. Yes, there, there are more Christians now. We know the center of Christianity moving to the global south, away from Western Europe, away from the United States. But that's not to say the Spirit is not working there. If you were to go to London this day, the largest churches in London are African and Caribbean in origin. The largest churches in Texas, most commonly, are Hispanic. The largest PCA church is Korean in heritage. I don't give you that information just to, to, to wow you with data, but to recognize what the evangelist Francis Chan has repeated recently, and that is we do no more damage to the gospel then when we look at the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament and we say, that's just ancient hyperbole. That's not what's happening now. Listen, the Spirit can work differently in different ages, times, and places, but the Spirit is alive and well. And our job always as believers is to say, how do we get in step with the Spirit? If he's doing amazing things in our day, in our time, in this generation, and for generations to come till Christ comes, then how do we align our ministry with the work of the Holy Spirit to lift our sails and say, blow, Spirit, take us where you want us to go? The Spirit was blowing pretty hard by the time you get to Acts 13. You may remember some of what the Holy Spirit had already done. The risen Lord did appear to the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and say that we, he, they would be his witnesses. And then you begin to recognize what happened. Day of Pentecost. Thousands believe, and it wasn't a one-day event. For there were then added daily to the church such as believed. Even the Jewish priests of Jerusalem begin to believe in Jesus. And it's at that point that the Jewish leaders have enough of that. And they determine to eradicate the Christians, the followers of Jesus. You know the apex of that story where one named Saul held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. And that was just one of the people killed. But that same Saul breathing out threats led a persecution that drove the Christians out of Jerusalem. And you would think it was all done. The promise had failed. The Holy Spirit wasn't working. But as the Holy Spirit began to move those thousands of new Christians out of Jerusalem, many of them went to that strange land bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa that we call Asia Minor. And right there, the Christians started a church at Antioch where they were actually first called Christians and began to call missionaries. They didn't believe it was done. They didn't believe things were done and over, but rather God had called them to that place for that moment for the present work. How did that happen? What, what, what happens next? If the Spirit has so worked, how do they get in line with the Spirit? We need to understand. They had unifying worship. If you want to think what the unity is about, look at the verse 1. There were at Antioch, this roster of leaders, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And we just kind of read past the names and don't recognize what we are being told. Barnabas. Now that's a Jewish name. One of the Jews believed in Jesus, driven from Jerusalem, goes to Antioch. And his name, we like, repeating, means son of consolation or comfort. It just means encouragement. And we say, isn't that sweet? <laughs> that, that one of the first Christians was named Encourager. And he's on the list of leaders. We love it when our leaders are encouragers. But there's more to it than that. Barnabas, while he has a Jewish name, was raised in Cyprus, a Gentile Greek culture. And if you just kind of let your eyes go down the page a little bit, you recognize that when Paul and Barnabas set out on their mission, where did they go? The end of verse 4. From there they sailed to Cyprus. God has been preparing Paul to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And on the very first missionary journey, he takes with him Barnabas, who actually has been raised in Greek culture, though he is a Jew, and the very first place they go is to Greek culture on Cyprus. As though God had been preparing by family and previous generation for Barnabas to be prepared to be that one who would accompany Paul to explain the culture, to explain the language, as though God were walking ahead of them and preparing the way. 
It's not all sweet. You may remember that we hear at the end of verse 5 when they also, Paul and Barnabas, also had John to assist them. Do you know what John that is? That's John Mark. He's a relative of Barnabas, a young man, and he goes with them on the first missionary journey. But when they get to Cyprus, John Mark, who's also been raised at Cyprus, has to witness to his own family. Who do you most hate witnessing to? Your own family. They remember you in high school. They know your struggles. They know your weaknesses. They know what your kids do. Whatever it is, John Bark, when he got to Cyprus, did not want to continue with Paul and Barnabas. He got discouraged, and he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. So bad was the abandonment that when the second missionary journey came and Paul and Barnabas were going to go again, Barnabas says, well, let's take John Mark again. And what does Paul say? No way. He abandoned us in Cyprus before. He is a coward. We are not going to ask him to go with us again. And you must recognize that what God did is still continue to use John Mark. Do you recognize that every time you open your Bibles to the New Testament and you begin to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Who wrote Mark? John Mark. The coward of Cyprus. Redeemed restored, renewed in God's purpose. Every time you open your Bible, just when you open to the book of Mark, what you are seeing is the gospel on display. A man can be a miserable failure. He can make mistakes. He can be ruined and restored. And you, what, what a blessing of the grace of God on display when we recognize who Mark was, that God was calling him and using him, and he is attached to Barnabas, the Jew who is prepared for Greek culture. But that's not all that's in the list. After Barnabas, there is Simeon or Simon, who is called Niger. Niger just means black, like Nigeria. There was Simon called the black. Undoubtedly a reference to his skin color. And you wonder, well, how did that happen? It's because centuries previous, there was a king of Israel named Asa, who trying to establish greater land boundaries for the kingdom of David, actually took the armies of Israel down into North Africa and defeated the Ethiopians. And from that time forward, there was this colony of Jews in North Africa. And what you see when you recognize that there was one who was called Simeon, that's a Jewish name, but he's got black skin and he's from North Africa, suddenly the pieces start coming together. He's Jewish, but somewhere in his past, one of his ancestors has intermarried with Africans, meaning for a Jew he would be viewed as impure. And what God had done was actually planned for that impure Jew to be on the leadership roster of the new church. It's better than that. What did the Jews call North Africa? Do you know? Cyrene. This is Simon called the black, meaning he is Simon of Cyrene. Ring any bells? For there was that moment when Jesus, having been flogged with loss of blood and strength, could not carry his own cross, 
to Golgotha. And so one of the Roman centurions did what? He grabbed a man out of the crowd and said, you carry the cross for him. And the name of that man who carried the cross of Jesus was Simon of Cyrene. Now recognize what's going on. They are persecuted, driven out of Jerusalem. And at Antioch, one of the men who's on the leadership roster of the new church at Antioch is the one who carried the cross of Jesus to Golgotha. And and he saw Jesus die, and surely he will have people say, what are you doing being a leader of the church? The very one who carried the instrument of the death of Jesus believes in the grace of God. Forgiven, redeemed, restored, and a leader in the church. Who else? There's Lucius of Cyrene. First time we get a a Roman name, not not a Jewish name. Here's a true Gentile, but a Gentile of the nation that is oppressing not just Jerusalem, but crucified Jesus and supplies the troops to drive these people out of their hometown and country. Lucius, a Roman, who's from where? Cyrene. And suddenly you almost get goosebumps to recognize in this this earliest church where they called themselves Christians, there is this cadre of African Christians who are in leadership for the calling of the missionaries to the nations. As the Holy Spirit is carrying out His work and saying, I am calling my people beyond their boundaries and bigotries to the work of the Spirit. After all, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That means everywhere. And what the Holy Spirit was doing is putting the people of God right in that very first church, representative of what the ministry was to be. The gospel of grace for all nations, all peoples, regardless of their pasts, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their differences. Do you believe that? You have to believe it to read the next name on the list. After Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch. Now, depending on your translation, it may not say lifelong friend. It may say a member of the court or even a foster brother. It's just a word that means raised with. Here is Menaean. He was, he was raised with Herod, the Tetrarch. What do you remember about Herod? This Herod's father had been the one to whom the wise men came. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And what did that Herod say? Well, why don't you go find him? And uh, when you found him, come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him. Well, of course, the goal was not to worship him. It was to eliminate any rival. And when the wise men being warned by an angel did not go back to Herod, but went home another way. What did Herod do but ordered the murder of all the babes of Bethlehem? That was this Herod's father. But this Herod has blood on his hands too. After all, when when he got in an incestuous marriage, marrying the wife of his brother, he came under the preaching of John the Baptist. 
And so this Herod imprisoned John the Baptist. And you know what happened, right? At one feast day where his wife's daughter danced erotically before him, he got so wound up, he said to the young girl, ask anything you want, up to half my kingdom, and I'll give it to you. What did she want? The head of John the Baptist. And this Herod, this Herod, gave the head of John the Baptist. It was this Herod to whom the Jews brought Jesus to be tried. It was this Herod that turned Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. It was this Herod that killed James, the brother of John. It was this Herod who imprisoned Peter. And now his very good friend, a member of the court of Herod named Manaen, is on the leadership roster of the first church of Antioch. Listen, if we know anything, it is that the friend of my enemy is my enemy. Surely there were Jews and Christians alike in this first church at Antioch who would say, listen, maybe I can receive a, a, a Jew who's been raised in Greek culture. Maybe I can receive a Jew as black skin. Maybe I can receive a Roman who is African, but Manaean, that is a bridge too far. Don't you ask me to receive him. Don't you ask me to call that man my brother. But what are they called to? It's the work of the Spirit. To worship that unifies the people of God and the purpose of God. Beyond boundary, beyond bigotry, beyond antipathy. To say, we for Christ's sake, will love one another and unify in the purposes of God. And if that was hard with Manaean, don't forget the last name on the list. The last name in verse 1 is and Saul. Now you know who that was. But it may be hard to put yourself in the spot. Your family has been driven out of Jerusalem. You've lost home and career Perhaps you've lost family members. Perhaps some of them are still imprisoned back in Jerusalem because of Saul. And now you walk into the church. And who's a leader in the church? The very one who caused your people to be driven out to this foreign land. I mean, just, just imagine in our own context, if you had, had been at the airport in Afghanistan and you are fleeing with your family, you know, your roots are left behind, your income is left behind, your, your family and friends and income, you have an uncertain future. You may have watched some of your own loved ones drop from planes and be killed because of the pressure of the Taliban. And you get to the United States and you walk into a church and one of the leaders is a Taliban general. Would you stay? Or would you turn on your heel and walk away? Here are Christians saying, blow, spirit, blow. And we will go where you take us. If that means forgiving the unforgivable. 
if that means loving people different than me, if it means receiving people that our culture would not want me to receive, if it's, if it's being changed by the gospel to say we will show ourselves to be the alternative society, not acting like the rest of the world. Everybody else knows what you do. If they hate you, hate them back. If they speak against you, speak against them. If their political party, if their skin color, if their background is different than yours, you have no obligation to love them. Garbage. It is the Holy Spirit's way to move beyond it all. Even the Apostle Paul, this Saul, remember he would say in Ephesians chapter 3 that the manifold witness of God is on display in the church so that even the heavenly hosts bow before the glory of God. Do you recognize that word manifold? Is, is the word that the New Testament translators used to refer to Joseph's multicolored coat. Paul takes that same word, and in Ephesians 3 he says, in the church, the multicolored wisdom of God is so on display that even the angels and the demons say, my, what a God, if he can get them together, this gospel must be real. How does it become real to us? Verse 2 while they were worshiping the Lord. Isn't that interesting? While they, this unlikely group, is worshiping the Lord together. This is not a, a rant against COVID attendance or post. It's just recognizing, listen, we will never by streaming accomplish all the Holy Spirit intends. When, when our world, the watching world, sees believers, despite their difficulties and differences, coming together to worship Christ on display is the grace of God. The way we treat one another, welcome one another, become part of a community in Christ, God is by His Spirit showing the world what the gospel is to be. It's not always comfortable. I recognize that. I hope you do too. I received a letter in our church some time ago from a young woman who wrote these words. Dear Mr. Chapel, I've been compelled to write to you about something I feel very strongly about. Now, you know this isn't going to go well. I've moved away from home to attend my university. With this move, I've had to seek a new church. The church that I've been attending makes a huge effort to reach out to the whole community. The worship consists of hymns, but contemporary gospel songs, even in different languages, all within the same services. I felt motivated by the Holy Spirit. Now I think, oh, I hope it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, I felt motivated by the Holy Spirit to write you because I feel that with the amount of diversity at Grace Church, my church, and the amount of diversity, not huge, if we started doing the same, whatever lines or walls stood between people who feel out of place, 
would be erased. And they would feel welcomed. Scripture was also read, not just in English, but in another language. I know it would be a hard transition. Well, you can say that again. Uh, but the worship leaders in my church told me how difficult it was, but something happened as people stretched and grew outside their comfort zones. In the end, everyone benefited. I, I know we've already incorporated English as a second language, but I feel like our church can take another step toward embracing the whole community. Now, if, if you're the leader of a church and, and you get that kind of a letter, you, you got a couple of choices. I mean, one thing you can do is say, how dare she? We're trying as hard as we can. We're doing all we can. We, you know, she just doesn't understand. Or you can say, how blessed are we that a child of this church actually believes what we taught her. That the gospel is for all people, all races, all backgrounds, all political parties, all nationalities. Our antipathies, our boundaries are not boundaries to the Spirit of God. We will even worship together, intention at times, struggling at times, but coming together for the purpose of the gospel to display Jesus and his work by the Holy Spirit for the sake of the nations. It's, it's in that, that unifying worship that the Spirit is changing who we are and how we are perceived. It, it's not just a group effort, though. You, you recognize that there is this personal devotion that begins to work, too, as God is working through individuals. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they their hands on Paul and Barnabas and, and sent them off. They're not just gathering for worship. They're praying and they're fasting. I know we can just think that's kind of like, you know, the Christian ritual. You know, you just got to do that stuff if you're really a holy person and you pray and fast. What is prayer? It's the confession that we need God's help. God, we can't actually live this way. We can't actually do this. The, the differences, the, the, the backgrounds, the resistance is so deep and so hard. And I've got, I've got so many objections in my own heart and mind. I, I don't want to do this, actually. But God, I can, I'm praying. I actually confess I need you to help me to do what I can't do. And fasting. Now, in the church in which I was raised, praying is what ordinary Christians do. And, and fasting is what super spiritual Christians do. And I was taught, maybe you were too, you know, the reason that you fast is so, is so that you can focus on God. My difficulty was whenever I fast, I want to focus on McDonald's. You know, I just, you know, I just get hungrier and hungrier. And that makes me feel like a failure. But what if what I recognized is fasting is the physical representation of prayer? It's saying, Lord, not in my strength, not in my ability. I need your help. I can't do this. So that in fasting, the hunger is actually a form of worship. It's saying, in, in my emptying of myself, without 
my nutrients, without my provision, only in your strength can I become what you intend. And so I'm confessing in my prayer and in my fasting, God, in my weakness, you are strong. In, in my inability, you bring change. As I'm bowing before you, fill me, Spirit. Not, not in my strength. You know the words, not by power, nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And when that is taking over, when that is what's motivating us, then we begin to recognize the very things we are called to do become possible. Where did they first go? In the verse 4, they sailed to Cyprus. And Paul began to teach in the synagogues. Now, that means Barnabas is talking to his family. And Paul is talking to his countrymen. Holidays coming up. Most of us will have opportunity to speak to unbelieving loved ones. And our great reticence is we know that they know us. Our weaknesses, our inconsistencies, our failures. But what if he said, well, actually, it was never going to be in my strength anyway. It's by the Holy Spirit that the gospel moves forward. So God... As you give opportunity, help me to recognize your Holy Spirit present and, and give me words or, or even actions or attitudes that, that just keep the door open, that, that let a word come in that's the Holy Spirit work into my loved one's life. Make me an instrument of that. If the Holy Spirit is active, we speak to family. Not only do we speak to family, what else did they do? You remember they went to this magician, verse 6, who has the strange name Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, as though he's, he's claiming that he's in the spiritual line of Jesus, even though he is opposing the work of Jesus. Paul says, what I wouldn't advise you always to say, you son of the devil, <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness. Well, Paul could do that. Maybe there will be time for you to do such a thing. But you, you recognize that, that there's compassion. There's also amazing courage when you're saying, Spirit of God, use me. Use me. Help me to say what needs to be said. Do we, do we face any enemies in our culture? Enemies of the gospel? You just think of the challenge young and old face in trying to say that gender is not fluid, that same-sex relationships are not to be celebrated, that marriage is not optional for sexual intimacy, that divorce is not inevitable, that political animosity is not acceptable, even if they said it about you first. That racial inequities are not tolerable even if they don't affect you. That sexual exploitation that uses others is wrong even if no one finds you out. You will be considered strange. More than that, you will be considered an enemy to speak with courage to those who oppose the gospel. But you must recognize the Spirit is giving us that ability in our weakness. 
Finally, we don't just speak to family and not just to enemy, but actually speak truth to power. That last one to whom Paul spoke, remember, was the proconsul, the wise man who when he saw what the Spirit was doing, he actually believed. There are Christians who must do that with courage, without knowing the results, without knowing what will happen, are willing to speak truth to power. I spent the last three days in Dallas, Texas with the China Partnership. Some of you will be aware of that. I was scheduled this last fall to speak in Hong Kong at the Hong Kong Bible Conference, which typically draws about a quarter million people. Did not happen because of COVID and may not happen again because of the changing government standards. And so I received a call from people who live speaking truth to power daily. And they wrote to me, Dr. Chapel, with the virus spreading in China causing tens of thousands to need treatment. In Hong Kong with public activities suspended, with schools closed and church meetings suspended, as the scheduled speaker for the Hong Kong Bible Conference, we would like to ask you to write a short message to the saints here that we could be comforted and encouraged. And I must tell you, I thought, who am I to encourage you? I do not face what you face. I, I do not have the courage. I have not ever had to express what you've had to do to simply go to church on a Sunday morning. Who am I? to encourage you. And all I could think to do was not tell them about anything from me, but to remind them of what they know of the Spirit. I wrote to them, my dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, as I read the challenges you face in China, I write to tell you that the eyes of the worldwide church are upon you. The eyes of the angels are upon you. And most of all, the eyes of King Jesus are upon you. For even when we do not know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep to utter, so that God, who knows the mind of the Spirit, intercedes so that all things work together for God's will for those who are called according to His purpose. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in you. This is what the Spirit shall do, and to this you are called, not because of your ability, but because of the Holy Spirit who calls you. It is that same Spirit who calls you. You must recognize that our opposition are the opportunities of the Spirit. Our difficulties are doorways to His working. Our goal is, is not to say that we will accomplish great things. Our goal is to say, Holy Spirit, blow we lift our sails to your purpose. Show us where you intend us to go, and we shall go with love and courage and great consistency, doing that work to which you call us. Blow, Spirit, blow. We will go where you intend. We will love as you tell us. We will be weak, knowing you are strong. Spirit of God, 
Work through us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, so call your people this day, I pray, that they would not by their weakness, not by their strength, not by their wisdom, not by their ignorance, claim any good from you, but nonetheless would say, we will say and go where the Holy Spirit intends. And as he works beyond our weakness, beyond our wisdom, we will obey. So blow, Spirit, blow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.